0: The song remains the same in baseball as the logjam continues in the AL West and NL wildcard. Also, what an eventful week it was for MVP candidate Ronald Acuna Jr. The NFL is just days away as I have over-under win totals for you. Deion Sanders already proving his worth in Colorado. Bryce Young, who as Jalen Milroe doesn't skip a beat in Alabama. Florida State, a team that we must pay attention to, are the highlights in college football over the weekend, and a top women's player is ousted at the U.S. Open as week two begins today. No days off for yours truly as the country celebrates Labor Day. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic in excellent spirits, the sun is starting to set on summer as we've hit Labor Day, but no time to gripe, complain, or feel sad as I have lots to unpack with what the sports universe has to offer as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and as we get into the month of September, Just a few days in, and as we get ready to put the cap on summer, I know there's still about two and a half weeks to go until it's officially done, but for all intents and purposes, I know this is the time where everybody gets their grill out for the last time, and they get everybody together to just celebrate the end of summer, so to speak. But here in the Northeast, it's going to be 90 all week. And for those who wish to go to the pool at some point, whether you have a couple days off or the kids not going back to school toward the end of the week, forget it. You might as well squeeze it in today. And by the time you listen to this, I'm sure it's going to be well gone as far as your Labor Day and what had taken place here over the weekend. But I hope it's enjoyable. And I hope that even through your commute, whether you're on a highway, at an airport, maybe even just going across town, I'm glad that you've stopped by to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports and we'll start off with the baseball cuz now we're at the point where we've hit the home stretch. We're less than a month away. In fact, 4 weeks from today, we'll start looking at the wild card scenario in both the AL and NL. And I'll start there because I know over the last few episodes I've talked a lot about the AL West and how that's just been a battle royale with the three teams there, Seattle, Houston, and Texas, and Houston and Texas have a humongous series starting today which I'll get into a little bit later on. But the National League wildcard, and I've talked about this for those who have listened here over the last few weeks, not to belabor the point that you don't have the big dogs there of the National League, teams that have made it to the postseason, especially just a year ago. No Mets, no Cardinals, no Padres. So now that I got that out of the way, I get it that these teams that are fighting for position, and if you look at the standings as of right this second, you have the Miami Marlins who are currently in that final wild card spot. But there's a problem. In fact, there are three problems because you have the Giants with the same record at 70 and 67, similar to the Marlins. Then you have the Diamondbacks also at 70 and 67, followed by the Reds who are 71 and 68. So those three teams that are ahead of them have two games in hand on the Reds, which doesn't bode well because the Reds, although they are in that flat-footed tie where everybody has the same percentage points at 0511 But if the season ended today, you're not going to have that crazy scenario of years past where you'd have game 163, tiebreakers abound, that these teams would fight it out to see who would get into the postseason. As of right now, it would be the Marlins. And give it up for them because it looked like that they were just on the fast track to heading out to sea and looking like they were going to plummet to the bottom of the ocean. But the Marlins seem to be swimming upstream to the point where they've won four in a row. All right, they went and beat the Nationals, big whoop, but the Nationals have played pretty well here throughout the course of the second half of the season, but give the Marlins credit, they've hung tough, they've been scrappy, they win a game under 500, and you probably thought that that was going to be it for their season, and even though, like I said, they had to play the Nationals, and they're a team that they're not going to be world beaters or people are going to look at it as, oh wow, that wasn't a big opponent for them, but you have to... Give them a little kudos because they certainly could have bottomed out and said, out of the hell with it. It was a great run up until this point. But Skip Schumacher, the manager, has really put that team together. And they have, for whatever the reason, they've come and have risen to the point where now they're in the thick of things, where they were three games back. And then now they currently have the sixth seed. And we're going to see what's going to happen with the Giants, Diamondbacks, Reds. They're all going to be fighting it out here over the course of the last Four weeks of the season. In fact, San Francisco has to go to Chicago. So, talk about a huge series for them. The Cubs right now look like they're going to be in great shape considering that they're three games ahead of the Marlins, Giants, D backs, Reds, etc. The Phillies, we don't have to worry about because they're going to have that fourth seed and host a wild card round. But for this group of teams, and I understand that once they make it in, whomever that may be, whether it is Miami, San Francisco, Arizona, or Cincinnati, they may not be long for the postseason. And even if they do happen to get past the wild card round, they're probably going to get spanked there in a division series, whether it's against the Dodgers or Atlanta. So you'll have that as you get into the deeper part of the month and into October, where the average baseball fan is not going to care because they're going to look at their schedule, and they're going to say, wait, where are the Cardinals? Wait, I don't see the Mets. Wait, San Diego, for all the free agents that they signed, they're not in the postseason? I'm not going to sit and watch the Diamondbacks or the Reds. You may get that. But we'll worry about that then. As we are right now, it's going to be a fight to the finish there in the National League wildcard. So we'll see how it all unfolds. And I'll get to a little bit of the schedule in a minute. Because then you have the AL West, which over the weekend, no harm, no foul. Even though you have a scenario where both the Rangers and Astros tied in the wild card. Percentage points ahead where you have Texas at 76 and 60. Yes, that's right. I thought it was a 78. There goes my eyes. And then you have Houston at 77 and 61. They had an awful weekend against the Yankees. Think about this. The Yankees went in there and did what Houston has done to the Yankees over the years, especially in the postseason. And the Yankees, I'm not going to say they're going to be part of this playoff mix because they're not, they are nine and a half, or excuse me, eight and a half back in the wild card race, You you forget about the division, but now with Jason Dominguez, the Martian, who has been much ballyhooed since he was 16 years old, signed out of the Dominican, and here he was in his first major league swing, hit a home run Granted, it was the Crawford boxes in left field, and even myself, if I stood in the batter's box, I could probably hit one out there. But he also had another home run last night, so two home runs by the guy that a lot of people have been comparing to Mickey Mantle. That's right. When he came out of Dominican Republic, and he's a switch hitting outfielder, center fielder to boot, that yes, visions of number seven came dancing in the Yankee scout's head, so. I understand you got to tread very carefully when it comes to talking about the Mick and having anybody compared to him, but a great start for the young rookie. And then the Yankees have now won six out of seven, seven and three on the road trip. I'll give them some credit by going into Houston and doing what they did. So they certainly did the Rangers and Mariners a favor. The Mariners lost two out of three to the Mets over the weekend here at City Field. So it's not as if that they happened to take advantage of their schedule, and the Rangers lost two out of three at home to the Twins, where they had to salvage the final game there yesterday, and now we'll be able to go ahead and host the Astros coming into their building for three enormous games this week, so we'll see how that series will unfold, as the top of the AL West is going to be a Royal Rumble. Or so we think, considering the way the schedule is going to break, as I talked about over the last couple of podcasts, you have Seattle playing Texas seven of the last 10 games of the year. And in between that for the Mariners, they have the Astros. So you would think that this race is going to heat up. You would think that between both the AL West and NL wildcard, it should be right down to the wire. Maybe even the AL East, which has been status quo here over the last couple of weeks where Baltimore still has an advantage over the Tampa Bay Rays. I believe it's what? Three and a loss and two and a half, which has pretty much been the case over the last couple of weeks. So it's not as if Tampa has gained any ground or even Baltimore has gotten that separation. So you would think that both of these teams are going to be in the thick of it to the very end. And I think that Tampa hosts, or maybe I believe Baltimore, let's take a quick look at that. Because I do think they have one more series left between the two opponents. And as I pull that up, I want to say it's the weekend of the 15th, 16th, 17th. Let's take a look. In fact, it's a four-game series where Baltimore will host Tampa Thursday to 14th through Sunday to 17th. So I was right that it fell on the weekend. I thought it was a three-game set. It's four. So that's one that could be for the division at that point. But even though Baltimore, their schedule after that, they got to go to Houston, Cleveland, which should be easy, but you never know what they're pitching. And then they finish with Washington and Boston. So their schedule is pretty favorable down the stretch after that series, even though they do have to play the Astros. And then I'll take a quick look at Tampa and what their final few games are going to mean for them. Tampa, who I believe they have the Red Sox at home this week. Yes, starting today, 4-10 this afternoon. And I believe that's a three-game set because they did sweep a four-game set down in Tampa earlier this year. So you all have Tampa... Who will have the Red Sox for three. Then Seattle comes into their building. Four big games there. At Minnesota. At Baltimore. Then they host the Angels. Followed by Toronto at home. At Boston and at Toronto. Tampa's schedule is difficult. It is not easy. It is certainly not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch. All right to have the Angels in the middle of that. But... Boy, that is going to be a gauntlet for them to overcome if they're going to win a division. Now, they're going to make it to the postseason. They're going to be, at worst, hosting a wild card round when it's all said and done. But if they're going to win a division, boy, they really have their work cut out for them. So, that's one that we'll take a look at. Other than that, you got nothing else that's going on with the divisions, with just baseball in a hole. It's those two races and pseudo with the AL East. Besides that, you got nothing. The other takeaway from the weekend was the Braves visiting the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine and they won three out of four. They actually won the first three games of that series where Ronald Acuna Jr. had his fingerprints all over, hitting a grand slam there in the first game. Earlier that day, got married, had a ceremony because of scenarios regarding family having to leave the country, I believe, later on in the month. So he wanted to be able to do that now and then have a honeymoon once the season ends. Hopefully for him and his team would be another World Series victory. And if you recall, he wasn't part of the 2021 World Championship team because he was nursing that ACL injury that he had to get surgery on when he went for a ball out in the warning track in Miami there, right before the All-Star break, I believe. So he did not play, was not on the roster for that championship run. So you know that he's going to be, all systems go, ready for a deep playoff run this time around. And then early in the week, and I didn't talk about this on the podcast on Thursday, but got ambushed by two fans out in Colorado where one fan came out of the stands and actually put his arm around Acuna to take a selfie. And Acuna, for whatever the reason, obliged. It wasn't as if he was trying to avoid him or even try to push him away to say, kid, what is it that you're doing here? But then as security came down and they grabbed the first guy. Another guy came out of the stands and not necessarily attacked Ronald Acuna Jr., but certainly got in his face and maybe to try to take a selfie or who knows, maybe just to give him a high five. And then with security there trying to corral the second guy, Acuna tumbled over onto the grass and became a whole big ordeal. Now, this was not shown on television because, as you know, once fans go on the field, the camera will shift elsewhere. But this was taken by someone that was in the stands in right field that I got to see on Twitter. So when you look at it, it is scary as can be because you do not know what these fans are going to do, whether they're going to pull out a gun, a knife, and I get it. You have metal detectors, I guess, in certain areas or pretty much throughout the field, but then, or throughout the stadium, I should say, but then you had that incident at formerly known as Comiskey Park where a woman brought a gun into the ballpark and I believe had hidden it underneath her stomach, which sounds crazy to begin with. But now you have to wonder what's going on with these fans trying to just infiltrate and feel as if they have the right to get on the field. And I understand they were probably drunk and maybe it was a dare or whatever it was, but we got to chill out with this nonsense here, fans, because we have no right to jump on the field or go onto the court as we've seen in the NBA in the past or on the ice or whatever. Just have to do better, fans. That's just awful and disgraceful to say the least. But what a week for Acuna, having that there in Colorado, I believe it was on Tuesday, then gets married early Thursday morning out in LA, I believe an hour out or north of Los Angeles to have to play that night, was a hero in that game. The Braves were on the verge of a sweep there yesterday, they weren't able to seal the deal. But the Braves, as I talked about weeks past, being Major League Baseball's best team, and they're certainly looking that way. No need to rehash what they've done and their record. And overall, we just have to wait to get to October. Once they get everything set for the division series, whomever they're going to play, and away we go. Because right now, they're just playing out the rest of the string, the division. They might as well just give them the flag and start popping the champagne as I speak. And for them, it is all about what they do over the course of three and a half weeks once we get to next month. And that's what we have with the baseball. Now, before I pivot to go to the NFL and college football, one thing I want to get to, and we'll talk about this four weeks from now, but my over-unders for the year, and there may be a first when it comes to this, and this is any sport, whether it's football, basketball, even baseball for that matter, but there is a possibility that yours truly may get a split, which is nothing to write home about. So three and three when it comes to the six over-unders that I chose back on March 30th. But I may have three of my overs win and three of my unders lose. Now the unders, they're going to be a formality as it is because Washington was one of my unders at 59 and a half and they've blown right past that. I believe they're at 62 or 63. Tampa Bay, 88 and a half, I believe that number was. No, in fact, I think it was 89 and a half. But you would think that when it's all said and done, even with that rough schedule as I talked about there earlier, I would think that they're going to prevail and they'll probably get to 90 when we get to October 1st, the final day of the season. They're at 83 right now. So you would think all they need is seven more. So that's going to be a shoe in And then you have the Texas Rangers who are six away from getting to 81 and a half. Those are my three unders and that's going to look awful. As far as my overs, now it's not a lock for the Blue Jays, they're at 90 and a half, they got to get to 91, and they're currently 75 and 62. So what they have to do is, they got to go 16 and 9 the rest of this year, which they can do, it's not impossible, and I haven't looked at their schedule yet, but because of the wild card and where they're at, you would think they're going to be in, because they're currently, as of right this second, On the outside looking in, they're going to battle, scratch and claw. But I believe they're what? A game and a half back as I take a look at the wild card standings. But when it comes to the over-unders, I also have Arizona as an over. And in fact, they are one and a half and one back of the Astros as currently constituted. As far as the other two overs, I have Pittsburgh, 67 and a half. And they're currently at 63. So that's looking pretty good. And then Arizona, who I believe was 74 and a half. And they're at 70. So all I got to do is root for Toronto just to get the 500, which is awful when you think about it. But those are my over-unders right now as we get to the final stretch here this regular season and we'll recap it all to see whether or not I get to 3-3, three and three, which one more time is nothing to do cartwheels or backflips about. Now let me pivot. Speaking of over-unders, the NFL starts Thursday and I'll have a full preview then I'm not going to have a guest, Gary Myers, busy time of year for him, not only with the upcoming season, but of course, his new book, Once a Giant, not that I'm plugging it, but I guess I am to a certain extent. He had been a former guest in the past, I believe the 2019 NFL preview, I had him on, so unfortunately, I won't have somebody come on, maybe throughout the course of the year as we get into the NFL season, I'll see if I could pluck somebody, whether from newspaper, online etc to kind of handicap what's going on here with this NFL season as we are now just three days away and I'm sure everybody's just geeked up I'm sure they got their fantasy football teams all set and ready to go or maybe there's some last minute stuff going on for all I know because as people who've listened to this podcast I'm not a fantasy football guy and I'll just leave it at that but over-unders now you have a scenario where there are clusters of teams that are wrapped around particular numbers. And when we look at the top number, it being 11 and a half, you have three teams that are at that number. KC, Cincinnati, Philadelphia. Then you have another cluster of teams, and when you count them, it's seven that are at nine and a half. Dallas, Baltimore, the Jets, Detroit, the Chargers, Miami, New Orleans, and Cleveland. And look at me, I can't even count right. That's eight teams that are at nine and a half. And then your next two clusters are seven and a half, Chicago, Green Bay, Carolina, the Giants, New England, Tennessee, Las Vegas. That's seven teams. So think about this. Almost half of your teams in the NFL, you're at either nine and a half or seven and a half when it comes to over-unders. And then the last couple of blocks, six and a half are Indy, Washington, the Rams, Houston, and Tampa. Five teams there. And then you want to throw in Minnesota, Atlanta, Denver at eight and a half. The two teams that only have, that are separated, that actually are standing alone with just one number next to them, Jacksonville at 10, which is weird to see a number at 10 because usually they want to put a half next to there because you have to go over that. Generally, you do not want to push, but for whatever reason, they have Jacksonville at 10. And then Arizona is at the bottom at four and a half. And then you have two teams that have, and this is what's round out all the over-under win totals. You have two teams that have a number next to them, San Francisco and Buffalo at ten and a half, and Pittsburgh and Seattle at nine. Now here's some of the things that I look at right off the bat with these over-unders that to me raise an eyebrow. To see New Orleans... And I get it. It's a division that's awful. Probably the first team that gets to eight is going to win the division. Because you do not have a team that has any type of firepower when it comes to their offense. Or any type of identity, even with their defense. And that includes the Carolina Panthers. Then we know they have a good defense. But we know Tampa's going to be awful, even with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. We know that the Saints, even with Derek Carr there, will probably be the favorite by default. But remember, their coach is Dennis Allen, who is by any means nothing close to even Jim Mora, let alone someone like Vince Lombardi. So that's what you have there with the Saints, the Falcons, still on the come up there with Arthur Smith and with Desmond Ritter at their quarterback. Could be a long year. And then the round out Carolina, you're also going to have a young quarterback there with Bryce Young, no pun intended, but... Even with their defense and a young quarterback, there's going to be some growing pains there down in Carolina. So I could see the Saints being the best of the bad lot, but nine and a half? That may be an under for me. And that could be dangerous because last year, if you recall, the Eagles were at nine and a half. I picked them as an under. And I may go back to that well this year, but on the flip side, similar to what I did with Tampa last year, picking them as an under and then going back to the well this year to pick them as an under... Well, I may flip the script and put them as an over. So those are a couple of hints that I may go at when I get to the podcast come Thursday. But that cluster there of nine and a halfs with Dallas, Baltimore, the Jets, Detroit, Chargers, that seems to be right. Although I don't know about Cleveland either because the division is going to be highly competitive. You have the Ravens are also part of that nine and a half mix. Of course, the Bengals, the Steelers, who a lot of people, it's weird. A lot of people think that they could be a team to look out for this year. I don't even want to call them a sleeper or a dark horse. And then it's weird. I also read in some other publications that they have a regression, a team that's going to go backwards this year being Pittsburgh. And how I look at it was, is that wait a minute, Pittsburgh started two and six and they were five and eight before winning their final four games. So where Mike Tomlin still has been at least a 500 team or above that he's coached here in the national football league. But the Steelers, and that whole division for Cleveland, and I get it, a full training camp, and no suspension for Deshaun Watson, but is that going to be a team to look out for, to be reckoned with? I get it that they still have Miles Garrett and a very good defense, or a decent defense, they're not very good, but I don't know, that's another number that has me dubious when it comes to Cleveland, and then even in that other stretch of seven and a half, the Bears, are they ready to take that next step to at least get that much higher in a division which is similar to the nfc south with aaron Rodgers in new york and from what i've read jordan love has not really cut the mustard although he's going to be the starter come sunday but for that division where you would think minnesota even eight and a half that number i think is really low for them and they won 13 last year So that's another one that I'm looking at here. Maybe to just choose them. Because so many people are going to look at the Lions to win that division. And maybe that's the case. But I don't know just yet. Because as I talked about there even four or five weeks ago. I don't like the Lions going into Arrowhead this week. And being competitive. Maybe for a half. But then again. Maybe not even for a half. So we'll have to wait and see there. But you have other teams that I think could even surpass that. I know the giant number seems to be low, seven and a half. I know the division with Dallas and Philadelphia is going to be tough, but the NFC overall is not a conference that if I'm a giant fan, we're going to make the playoffs. I'd be shocked if they don't, because whomever's going to come out of the south or even the north, you would think it's going to be one team. You're probably going to have three teams come out of the NFC East and maybe two teams come out of the... NFC West, because you're going to have San Francisco, maybe Seattle, you're not going to have the Rams or Arizona, so how I look at it is, unless you're going to have a team that's going to be 7-10, and 10 making it to the postseason, whether it's from the NFC South or the North, then the Giants are going to be a shoo-in. Those are some of the numbers that I look at, KC, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, that's where they should be at, same for San Francisco, Buffalo, I know Jacksonville, that could be a little bit high. What were they last year? I believe they were 9-8, and eight, but the division is not any good. The Colts are going to have growing pains there with their young quarterback, Anthony Richardson. Tennessee, I get it that just based on their pedigree, although last year they really took a step back, but Ryan Tannehill, he may not be long there at the quarterback position, and they could have a long year down in Tennessee. And then, of course, you have Houston with C.J. Stroud. You don't expect them to do much. So, Jacksonville should be able to beat up on that division. So, maybe 10 is right where that number is. Denver 8.5, they need to improve this year. And I'm kind of doing a little bit of a preview here. But those are your over-unders. And Atlanta, that's a high number for them considering they're putting Desmond Ritter at quarterback. So, I'll have all of my over-unders as well as my knockout pick. We'll go through the divisions. I kind of went through it a little bit here. And my Super Bowl prediction... Even a little Pittsburgh Steeler preview. For those who don't know, I'm a huge Steeler fan. And do I expect big things from them this year? I do, but it's going to be reliant on two things. And you have to wait till Thursday in order to find out. All right, now I'll turn my attention to the college circuit as in full bloom, the season has begun. The three notables of the weekend that I thought going in was Deion Sanders. And we understand that that was going to be A much-hyped first game for him to be just on the big stage there when it comes to Division I coming from Jackson State and to see how he would do. And his son, Shadour Sanders, has already put himself on the Heisman Trophy watch with his performance, five touchdowns, 45-42, just an outstanding win for them. And I'm sure one that they're going to build on from here to the end of the season at Boulder. But if there is one thing that you have to wonder is their defense, because for them to give up 42 points, not to say that they had to shut them down, not to say that they had to just roll over, but when it comes to the latter part of the season when they're going to play even more stout opponents, and that's not to knock TCU, obviously they made it to the national championship game last year, but without the quarterback that they had last year, Max Duggan, who's now in LA with the Rams, and also I believe he's with the Rams, no, that's Stetson Bennett, Duggan, I know got drafted there late. You know what, now he may be with the Rams, I'm going to have to look that up, but without Duggan, and even though with what they did last year, I'm sure it was a disappointment knowing that they gave up that many points, that Shadur Sanders actually had his way with the TCU defense, and certainly, yes, he's actually with the Chargers now that I look at it, but if that's going to be a precursor of what lies ahead, and for all the players that transfer to Colorado to believe in Coach Prime, to know that he had a vision And right, it's just one game. We can't get crazy or can't just overlook that the rest of the season is going to be a foregone conclusion for this team to go 11-2 and and maybe in the mix for a a championship or even an appearance in a big-time bowl. But for at least one week, not only did they put up big numbers offensively, but who knows if they're going to be able to carry that throughout the rest of this year. And they certainly have to shore up some holes there on defense if they're going to have any success there this year out in Boulder. That was number one. Number two was Jalen Milrow, the quarterback of Alabama. You could say Bryce Young who? Now, all right, we can't get crazy. It's not as if Alabama beat up on LSU. It's not as if they beat up on a big team. We all know that this is homecoming week for a lot of these teams and they're going to just beat up on the dregs of college football. So even though we can look at What Milrow did, and he also had another five-touchdown performance in his back pocket, similar to Shador Sanders, but for Alabama, and we understand that they are planning to have a big year, they're planning to see if they can get back to the Final Four to get themselves back into the championship mix, and even with Milrow, now granted, he only threw 494 yards, he had five total touchdowns, and obviously was able to run the ball, but when you have Middle Tennessee State coming into your building, even I could play quarterback there. But that is a good sign. Hopefully that could be a building block for Milro, who a lot of people think can do the job, but aren't really stuck in their gut to see if he can do the job. Because remember when Bryce Young was out for a little bit last year, he did fill in, but didn't light the world on fire. But to me, that was a story to see whether or not Milro can play the position. And if Alabama could be formidable this year. So, that was a good sign for the Crimson Tide and Alabama, even though it was at the expense of Middle Tennessee State. And then last night, you had Florida State beat LSU. Florida State, are they a team that we're going to have to pay attention to when it comes to maybe being a threat to the top teams in the nation to see if they could be a part of this college football playoff mix? Now, obviously, it's way too early. It's not as if I could come out here and say, oh... This is going to be hearkening back to the days of Bobby Bowden when they were able to be not only a contender for the national title, but also win it. Way too early to tell there, but I would think that with this win, beating LSU, and who knows what this means for LSU this year, and Brian Kelly, as he stated in the post game, just an awful performance, obviously did not like what he saw from his team, and LSU, they cannot hiccup here throughout the course of this rest of the season if they're going to even be a part of the mix here when it comes to the playoff for the national title there on New Year's Eve. And as it is, they got to go to Alabama this year after beating them last year in their building down in Baton Rouge. So just keep that in mind. If you think that LSU can run the table to get to the latter part of November into December for the SEC championship game and for them to win that and maybe have visions of playing in the final four, well, you're going to have to double check and think twice about that because I don't think with this loss here, it's not going to bode well for them down the road. But back to Florida State, Jaden Travis with a great performance there last night, throwing for four touchdowns, making his case to see whether or not Florida State can take that next leap. Currently ranked eighth in the country and in three weeks, they're going to have a big matchup where they have to go to Clemson and go up against them to see whether or not that they could stack against Clemson. Now, of course, they've fallen a little bit since their championship days but we know that Clemson can be a team that if they push all the right buttons and have the ball bounce where it may that they could be a part of this mix when we get to the latter part of November into December the likelihood maybe not so much but again they are Clemson and they still have the coach there but for Florida State that was a big win for them and for LSU I know that that was just a bitter defeat Now, I understand that they took him to the back of the woodshed there late as LSU just had mistake after mistake there, and even though with their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, wasn't able to match up against the Florida State quarterback, Jordan Travis, if I said Jaden Travis, my apologies, I got my J's mixed up, it's Jaden Daniels for LSU and Jordan Travis for Florida State, but let's see, this is why college football, everybody Loves to rally around it, especially on Saturdays. It's become big here over the last few years and I get it, has been huge for over a hundred years, but now with it being in full bloom and with the NFL ready to raise its sun over the horizon, now we can finally rejoice and certainly wrap our arms around what's going to happen on the gridiron, both on the pro and college circuit as we... Look ahead to what I would think would be a big year in both sports, although more predictable with college football, as I talked about there on Thursday, as opposed to the NFL. And I'll go through the college schedule there on Thursday's podcast to kind of take a look at what lies ahead for the weekend. And yes, football is now back in our consciousness as we could certainly rejoice and get ready for an NFL season, as well as sink our teeth to college football here from now over the course of the next four to five months. And now let me break out the tennis racket. Let's talk about what's happening at the U.S. Open as week two begins today. And yes, you had a scare there on Friday night with a one Novak Djokovic who had to fight tooth and nail. It was down 0-2. That's right. was down two sets to love, but we've seen him come back in that fashion and we've seen him be in a predicament where he has to dig himself out of that 0-2 hole as he did there against Laszlo Gere. And for Djokovic to rise out from almost dead to win that match there on Friday, and generally when you have a player on a quest to win a title there, let's say for instance here at the US Open, they're always going to have that one match where they're really going to have to sweat. Now, you didn't expect for him to be down 0-2, but he was able to come back in not surprising fashion. It's actually more of a surprise that he was down 0-2 to a guy that has been an unknown. I never heard of the guy until I read about and didn't really watch the match but was following it and that night when he actually won late in the morning there out in Flushing Meadow and it's actually a fellow countryman on top of that too. So I'm sure that it was tough for Xer who was had... Djokovic up on the ropes, and that would have been just a monumental win for him, and maybe even for that country, considering that when you think about Serbians, you think about Nikola Jokic, as well as Novak Djokovic, but that certainly would have been a huge win for the young player, but as it was, Djokovic was able to come back, win, and now he has Taylor Fritz upcoming in the quarterfinal, as we now look ahead to see whether or not this coming Sunday, we'll have our Carlos Alcaraz... And Novak Djokovic round two when it comes to the Grand Slam tournament final. We saw that in Wimbledon. We know what happened there. And we could only hope to have a rematch there in six days. And on the women's side, you had Igor Swiatek, number one player in the world. Now you could say, uh-uh, she's gone. You're going to have Aryna Sabalenka move up there as she will probably be your number one player. And for whatever the reason, Swiatek on hard court services does not play well. She could play in the clay, as we've seen at the French. She's won already three French Opens. And I believe the other tournament she won was at Wimbledon, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think she won an Australian as of yet. Unless that she won last year. I'd have to go back and check that out. But for Swiatek, who I thought was probably going to win, loses in three sets to another relatively unknown, at least for me. I'm sure maybe the diehard tennis fan is well aware of Jelena Ostapenko. But... Even for Penka, who was down 3-6 after the first set, she came back to win 6-3 and 6-1, handily beating Switek. As Switek said, I don't know what happened to me, I don't know what happens to me on hard court surfaces, didn't play her best match, did not fare well, and to talk about farewell, she is gone here, not even into the second week here at the US Open, so now the women's side is wide open. And even though Caroline Wozniacki who had a very good run there going into yesterday's match against Coco Gauff before losing but she almost made it into the second week and now this is time for Gauff to take a step above. If she's going to win a tournament this is it for her. You have Swiatek it's out and I get it you still have Sabalenka and a couple of other women's tennis players that are certainly formidable and now can go ahead and snatch that crown but I think if Coco Goff is going to be a serious contender for years to come, she has to win this tournament. I don't want her making a semifinal and losing. If she makes it to the final, that'd be big. But to me, she has to win it. Because a lot of people know who Coco Goff is, and I'm not trying to put all the pressure or just all of the attention on her, but Goff, as we've seen her progress here over the years, and she's had her moments. She's played well against... Stout opponents, whether it be Naomi Osaka for one, a couple of years back, if you recall, at the U.S. Open. And her having her stretches where she's played well, but she hasn't been able to get to a championship round, or she hasn't been able to get over the hump. Now it's in front of her. She needs to go ahead and look at this week as her playing ground to get to a final and win it. Because just think about it, two years ago, you had Emma Raducanu win in a... Final against Layla Fernandez, the kid from Canada. So not to say that you're going to have those type of opponents there waiting for her come Saturday night at seven o'clock. But one more time, if Raducanu and Fernandez can make it there to a final, and for Raducanu to win, and since then she's done nothing, then Coco Gauff should be able to do that. And that's my point. And I hope she does it. I think it'd be great for women's tennis. I think it'd be great for tennis overall to have a player. Get to that point to finally win. She's a household name. I understand that she hasn't won a title. No grand slams in her back pocket as of yet. But it's all in front of her. And I don't care who she faces in her next match and who she may have down the road. This is her time to win. Because not to say if she doesn't get to a final win this year, will she ever do it? No, she's still young enough and she still has plenty of tennis that's ahead of her. But this is her time. She should look at this moment to say, okay, Swiatek is out. I know there's still a lot of competition that's out there. I know it's still going to be tough for me to win this thing. It's not as if anybody's going to hand it to her and rightfully so. But one more time, Goff, who's now into this week, and this is the last Grand Slam of the year, do something about it. And this is where I think she should really take it upon herself to go to that next step, to take it to that next level, For her to not only just be a name where people know Coco Goff. Yes, she's been on the scene for the last three, four years. Started at the age of, I believe, 14. What is she now? I believe she could be 18, if not 19. For all I know, as I pull that up, as a matter of fact, she is 19 years old. So you know what? One more time. This is her moment. It's time for her to get on the horse and ride this sucker home. And her next opponent just happens to be Jelena Ostapenko. Someone who's going to be playing with house money, who beats Swiatek as I just talked about. And who knows, maybe the thought process was, I could have been playing Swiatek here. Now I have an opportunity to pounce to see if I could beat Ostapenko to get to a semifinal and move on from there. This is it. I'd like to see it. I'd like to come back here on Thursday to discuss her playing in a semifinal, which would be Thursday, and then have her set up for a championship potential matchup there on Saturday. But let's see as we're into week two of this tournament and we'll see where the chip falls where they may come Thursday when we reconnect at that time. And that's what I got for you people. I know we're going to get into it a lot more as we get into the NFL season and NFL preview there on Thursday. College football, we'll look at the schedule this coming weekend at that time. Where we're at with the baseball season as far as what we talked about at the top And of course the US Open as we get deeper into the week and come closer to crowning champions on both the men's and women's side before we get even further into the month where we'll have training camps open in the NHL and in the NBA to follow suit before we really get crazy with sports and I'll be chomping at the bit to unpack, digest, and of course share with you my thoughts, feelings, analysis, opinions, everything on what's happening in the sports world. So thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you much for carving out some time out of your precious day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, just like I said at the top, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars write a review just so we can increase the visibility for those who aren't familiar with yours truly or the podcast. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at any of the following on my YouTube channel, at J Reels. Definitely go there as I put up content daily. And we'll definitely be doing so here in the days, weeks, and months to come. Now that we're back in full swing when it comes to sports on a whole. Also, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter or X, J Reels1, just a number. Or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. Because whether you do or do not know. This is what I love to talk about people, it's in the blood, it's in the DNA, I've been doing it for now five and a half years, I just crossed that threshold there on Friday, which was the first five and a half years I've been doing this podcast, and now I'm full steam ahead to 400 episodes, which will be probably in about four to five weeks, so you definitely want to keep yourself subscribed, keep yourself just on top of everything that's happening, because where else are you going to get all of the sports in one podcast? That's right. I talk about everything of what's going on, as I'll get into in a second, with nothing but fire, passion, energy, fury, with what happens on the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. South Bronx and South Beach the South Central the South Pacific and all points beyond peace, love, and God bless everybody and until next time on the J Reels Podcast on the foot, baby.